in Genesis chapter 31, verses 45 to 55. <clears throat> We've been talking about peace, right, over the past couple of weeks, or several weeks. Uh, Pastor Mark talked about Laban being transparent and uh, honest uh, with Jacob and, and uh, how he felt about him leaving. And last week we talked about this pathway to peace, and, and we had to have transparency and honesty in order to, for that to take place for both people, both sides. <clears throat> and so we, uh, with Pastor Mark, we saw that Laban was transparent and honest. Last week we saw that Jacob was transparent and honest about uh, how he felt over the past 20 years, right? And so now we're going to be talking about this monument to peace. We've been working our way to this uh, particular passage where they're going to now set up this monument to peace between Jacob and Laban. <clears throat> but before we get to that passage of Scripture, located in the southwestern region of the United States is a tourist attraction that draws thousands of visitors every year. It is a six-hour drive from the nearest airport, so you're going to want to have to go there, Right? and 33 miles from the nearest town. It claims no majestic rock formation or redwoods. Resting in unremarkable landscape, its focal point is nothing more than a small brass disc, roughly three inches in diameter. You see it on the bottom right-hand corner is uh, that little disc, but it's in the middle of that picture as well. <coughs> a government survey marker designating the point at which four different state uh, boundaries meet, Arizona, Utah, Colorado, and New Mexico. Tourists pose for photographs on all fours, feet in two states, hands in two more, faces beaming with delight of being able to boast that they are in four places at once, right? But the tourist fascination with the Four Corners Monument reveals something about us human beings. We cannot be in more than one place at one time. We can move from one place to the next, but we cannot occupy two places simultaneously. Yet God, who is spirit, is able to be everywhere, fully present, God, unbound by a body, is not limited to one place. He is not merely big. He is uncontainable. Also, are able to be present everywhere. Aren't you grateful for that attribute of God today? He is uncontainable, right? Ever present with us. And we're going to see how this plays out because Jacob and Laban are going to call on this God who is uncontainable, who is ever present, to watch over them both <clears throat> as they make this monument to peace. Judy and I still have our unity candle from our wedding. Yesterday we got to go to Katie Smyers' wedding and they had uh, sand that they put together, right? And they'll probably keep that and display it prominently uh, somewhere in their house. But the candle is a monument, isn't it? To our covenant of two becoming one flesh. And so we still have it. We used to have it displayed. I don't know if it's displayed anymore. It might be. It's on the one shelf, yeah, with our wedding pictures. So I thought it was there. I forgot to look the, this week, but, but uh, you know, when, when uh, we do markers for all kinds of things, don't we? Monuments, we kind of set monuments up. When our dog back in Ohio, Socks was his name, uh, chased a car and caught it, um, we buried him in the woods. Uh, and so we put a stick up. Uh, so this is on Judy's parents' property in Ohio. And so we put a stick up so that we'd be reminded where Socks is at. I don't think the stick's up anymore. If it is, I, I wouldn't. I have a general idea of where he's at, where he's buried. But when our cat uh, here uh, got hit in front of the, the house, you know, Levi and I took him and we buried him just uh, in the woods beyond the pond. And we put a big, large, flat rock over top of where we buried him. And again, it's just, it's a reminder, isn't it? Um, it it's marks uh, where, those, um, where those precious family pets are at. Now, I played baseball growing up over in Shippensburg, and 
I have a trophy from when I played Little League there. Our team went 14-0, and 0, perfect season, and uh, if I remember correctly. And we were undefeated, and it, they gave us a trophy, right? And, and it's a monument to our success as a team. Now, that's in a box somewhere up in the attic, I think, but I don't keep it out, even to, you know, just today. You would, all right. <laughs> well, there's other, there's other uh, trophies we're going to talk about in just a minute, but... <laughs> So for you all, I just want you to think today, how many of, of us had some kind of unity representation as part of our wedding ceremony? Maybe it was a candle, maybe it was sand, maybe it was ropes that you tied together or, or, or wound together. Maybe it's a unity cross. Our son, Seth, had that. How many of us still have that item in our possession? And how many of us have it uh, prominently displayed in our homes? So just think about that for a minute. Was there something that you did in your wedding ceremony where you were... Two becoming one, right? Most of us have a loved one that's passed away, and my guess is that every person who has passed away has some kind of marker or headstone at their burial plot, right? It's a marker, it's a monument to that person. How many of us visit that's the cemetery to remember our loved one? Many of us have probably lost a pet and perhaps buried them on our property with a marker showing where they're buried. How many of us have trophies from sports that we played? It's just something to think about. A lot of us do. How many of us have deer heads, deer antlers, fish, or other wild animals on our wall as a monument to success? I'm still looking for a set of ant deer antlers on my wall. <laughs> but, but I do have deer, mate, deer meat and mason jars in my basement. So that's my monument to success. <laughs> so these are like monuments, right? to our marriage, to the loss of a loved one or a family pet, or success in sporting events or outdoor endeavors, right? We have these monuments that, that we set up. And as we learned last week, Laban suggested that he and Jacob make a covenant of peace. Today we will see how, that, how they marked that covenant with a stone monument and a heap of stones. Their monument was not marking a marriage or a death, but rather peace. They were calling on God to be the judge between them while they were separated from each other. And what we're going to learn from this passage today is our big idea, which is God is our witness to living at peace with others. He's our witness because he's all-knowing, he's uncontainable, he's ever-present everywhere. And he knows us. He knows our thoughts and our heart. And so as we allow that to kind of sink in this morning, would you just bow your heads with me as we commit it to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we come to you today. <laughs> as uh, people who have been in the past or maybe are currently dealing with a situation that's just turmoil. There is no peace, Lord God. And we need you in our lives to kind of be the witness to help us to live at peace with those in our lives. Lord, it might be at home. It might be in our a greater family unit. It, it might be a work issue. It might be a neighborhood issue. Lord, I, I just pray whatever it is today that you would use your word to speak to the hearts of your people, that they would be transformed by your word. And so, Lord, we, um, we come under the authority of your word today, the truths that we find in it. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work and he would soften hearts and minds that they would willingly come under that authority. And so we commit it to you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Mark and I, in talking about this message, I said, Mark, 
I, I need four points that all start with the same letter. <laughs> and the one commentary I was reading broke it down into four sections, and I'm like, these are great four sections, but this guy didn't do any work for me at all. In his commentary, he had different headings for all of them, and they didn't all start with the same letter. And so with Mark's help today, uh, we have four that all start with the letter A. So <laughs> thank you, Mark. <laughs> we talk about stuff like that together. So it was, a re- it was, a, it was, a, it was hard work this week. I'll just put it that way. We're going to start with a test. We see in verses 45 to 47 uh, what's being attested, attested here. So look at those verses with me, if you would. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it um, Yahar, oh my goodness, uh, Sahandatha, something like that. I'll get to it. <laughs> and Jacob called it, called it Galid. And so, uh, whoops, let's look at this. Um, they're attesting to um, what is this peace tree is to, to take place. And so we see first the stone pillar, and then we're going to see the stone heap. The stone pillar uh, was to mark the covenant between Jacob and Laban. Jacob took the stone and set it up as a pillar. He probably used uh, Laban's help in doing that. This is not the first time that Jacob has set up a stone as a pillar to remember something significant in his life. Do you all remember the last time he did this? Yeah, we talked about it in Genesis chapter 28. He left Beersheba for Haran, as God had uh, told him or instructed him to do through his mother. She says, get away. You know, you don't want your brother to kill you. And he spent the night in a place that he eventually calls Bethel because God's presence is there. He placed a stone under his head, and that night he had an incredible dream from God, right? There was a stairway that reached up to heaven, and there were angels going up and down, ascending and descending. And, uh, and Christ was at the top of that. And he's like, this is an incredible thing. I'm like, God is here. He is present in this place. And so Genesis chapter 28, verse 18 says this. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. It was a monument to the Lord's presence. And then he not only set up a single stone as a pillar, but he encouraged his relatives then to gather stones to come around him. Now that he's here in uh, in Gilead is where they're at right now. And so we see this stone heap, and Jacob's relatives gathered these smaller stones, and they placed them in a pile. After heaping these stones up, they sat down and ate a meal together. And presumably, the author is referencing the meal that Jacob prepares following the sacrifice that we'll see in verse 54. So just hang on to that idea. Kyle and Dillich, in their commentary, believe that the stone heap may have served as a table for the meal. Also, Warren Wearsby says this, Both families gathered stones and ate a meal together on those stones as a symbol of the agreement they had reached. Eating a meal together in an, in an Eastern custom is an Eastern custom when creating a binding agreement. So they had this meal together as a binding agreement, perhaps on top of that stone pile, perhaps beside it. Um, we're not really told. Isaac prepared a meal for Abimelech and his two advisors when they came to make a treaty with him. We saw that in Genesis chapter 26, verses 26 to 33. Most scholars believe the heap of stones was used as a boundary marker because what, uh, that's what the narrator, exp- narrator explains to us in verse 52. We'll see in just a moment. And Matthews in his commentary says that the narrative specifically includes that they ate there, quote-unquote there, anticipates the role of the heap as a boundary marker. And then we see um, 
the explanation of this witness heap. Both Laban and Jacob gave the heap the same name, but in two different languages. Laban calls it um, Yagar Sahadotha. There you go. I had it spelled out phonetically there, which is Aramaic. And then Jacob um, is uh, Gilad, and that's Hebrew. And both of those Aramaic and Hebrew words mean witness heap or heap of witness. It's significant that after 20 years of living in Haran with Laban, that Jacob chooses to use his native tongue, Hebrew, to name the heap of stones. Do you think that's interesting? I thought it was. I'm like, he's probably been speaking Aramaic, Aramaic all 20 years with Laban. And then when he comes to this covenant, he's like, um, he realizes what's going on, what God's doing in his life, where God's leading him back to the promised land, to his covenant people, to be the covenant carrier. And so he uses the Hebrew word. I just thought that was fascinating. And so he's going back to his heritage. This helps us understand that Jacob had not forgotten his vow to the Lord at Bethel when he was traveling to Haran in in Genesis 28, 20 to 22. Jacob had not forgotten or forsaken his ethnicity, religion, or culture. And Gangle and Bramer say this, this, this symbolism reminds us that these men came from two different ethnic groups, two different religions, and two different cultures. And so the heap of witness was significant for both men. But what we see next is Laban explaining the purpose of the stones and the condition of the treaty, as Matthew points out. This is our second point, agree. There's a second A word. Look at verses 48 to 53, the verse, first half of 53. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. This is why it, it, it was called Gelid or Gelad. It was also called uh, Mitzpah because he said, May the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters or if you take any wives beside my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, Here is this heap and here is this pillar I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. And so we see that Laban and Jacob are what they're agreeing to. The first part of it is the purpose. A couple of purposes there. First is to witness. The pillar and heap of stones would serve as a witness between Laban and Jacob. God was going to be the witness between them both as to how Jacob treated Laban's daughters and how Jacob treated Laban. God would be the witness Uh, to whether or not Jacob and Laban would be living at peace with each other. And so this goes back to our big idea that God is our witness to living at peace with others. He was going to do that for Jacob and Laban. But we also see this idea of not just witness, but watchtower. Laban gives the pillar and stone heap another name. He calls it Mitzpah, which means watchtower. Laban was calling on God to keep watch between them both while they were away from each other. Laban knows that he will no longer be able to keep an eye on Jacob since he will be in Canaan and Laban will be in Haran. You're talking about about 300 miles between these two guys now. And then we see the conditions of the treaty or agreement here. First, it's about how uh, Jacob's treating Laban's daughters. He wants to know that they're going to be treated well. Laban reminds Jacob that God is watching how he treats Leah and Rachel. God will know if Jacob mistreats them. God will know if Jacob takes other wives besides Laban's daughters. 
And that would potentially lessen the inheritance that his daughter's children would gain. So he's concerned about them. Even though his daughters felt like their father did not care about them, if you remember when Jacob goes to them and says, God's calling, us, calling me to go back to, to you know, the promised land, to Canaan, his two wives, Laban's two daughters, said, well, what do we have? We don't have any inheritance here. Our father treats us like a, a foreigner. He hasn't even given us like, um, you know, any money for, uh, for our marriage. But that was not necessarily true, was it? You know, as, as, as parents or as fathers, we still care, care about our children, don't we? Even when they are married and grown and, and out of the house and maybe living in a different state, we still care about our kids. And so we come to this first principle then that God is all-seeing and all-knowing. Laban emphasized the fact that while they were apart, God would see and know how Jacob treated his daughters. Nothing would be outside the purview of God. And the same is true for us. There's nothing we can think, say, or do that God is not aware of. He sees everything we do, how we treat others, what we look at, in the privacy of our home, and etc. more and more. He hears everything we say, whether it lifts others up or tears them down. He knows every thought that we have and the intention of our hearts, whether we are truthful with others or deceptive, whether we, are genu- whether we genuinely love others or not. <clears throat> Just giving them lip service. And so God is our witness in living at peace with others because he knows all that about us. And so two next steps here, back to back. The first is maybe you need to confess to the Lord anything that I have thought, said, or done that displeases him. Because he already knows, by the way, but he wants to hear you confess that before him today. And then the second next step might be for you too is to to acknowledge that God sees and knows whether I'm living at peace with others. He already knows that. You know, you might say, yeah, we're at peace with our neighbor. But you're like, I'm not going out of my way to love them or help them or do anything for them, right? Right? And that really tells us where our heart is. I think I told you a while ago, there's uh, a couple of houses up, up this direction on 34. And they both have these uh, signs that say, like, do not trespass or, you know. And they're facing each other, you know. It's funny. It makes me laugh. They're not at peace with each other, by the way. <laughs> and so we have to acknowledge that God sees and knows whether... We are living at peace with others. Laban was not just concerned about the condition of his daughters, but he was also concerned about his own well-being. <clears throat> That's why he makes uh, the suggestion about the pillar and the heap of stones would serve as a witness and a boundary marker against hostilities. Laban would not go southwest past the pillar uh, and heap to harm Jacob, and he's telling Jacob, "Don't God's going to know if you come past this heap and this pillar to try and harm me. And so he says, you're not supposed to go northeast past the pillar to harm me and he calls on god as the judge laban calls on the god of abraham and the god of nahor to be the judge between them walk he says the verb judge is plural indicating that laban has two deities in mind in context this should be translated the gods of their father and so laban is still entrenched in polytheism that was part of uh the people group there in haran he obviously believes that uh, the God of Abraham is separate and unique from the God of Nahor. And then we come to our second principle today, that God is our judge. That's what Laban was wanting. That's what Jacob agree, is agreeing to. But here's the thing. As Laban is like the gods of our fathers, you know, this polytheism, we know that there is only one God. 
all the rest are just posers, right? They're imposters. They're not real. They're not alive. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6 says, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, all capitalized, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. There's only one God. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, or men, the man, Christ Jesus. Isaiah 43, verses 10 to 11, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be uh, one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. Laban was wrong. And this one God is our judge. Psalm chapter 7, verse 9. O righteous God, who searches minds and hearts, bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. Psalm 75, 7. But it is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. Psalm 50, verse 6. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God himself is judge. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Now there is in store for uh, me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. James chapter 4, verse 12. There is only one lawgiver, capitalized, and judge, capitalized, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, <clears throat> who are you to judge your neighbor? So God is able to judge us righteously and fairly because he is all-seeing and all-knowing. He knows exactly what's going on. And Laban calls on the gods of Abraham and Nahor to be the judge between them. He wants to be tre treated well, and he wants his daughters to be treated well in his absence. But what we see next is Jacob taking an oath to the only true God. He doesn't fall into this polytheism that he's uh, been exposed to over the 20 years. So look at verses, uh, second half of verse 53 and verse 54. This is what God's word says. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. And so this is the second time that we see this title for God, use the fear of his father Isaac. He used it, we saw last week as well. And as was mentioned last week, this name of God can also be translated as the awesome one of Isaac. Jacob will not take an oath by the gods of Nahor, only the God of Abraham. He knew. He understood that there was only one God, and he is a judge. So Jacob made a sacrifice to the Lord in the hill country of Gilead. It can be assumed that he used some of the animals from his own flock, though it's not stated here. And then he invites his relatives to a meal following the sacrifice. This would have included his own family members and Laban's family members as well. Hamilton says a meal subsequent to the sacrifice would normally mean that the meal consisted of the animals that were just offered. And then Matthew says a sworn oath and a meal commonly accompanied a peace agreement. And we see that in Scripture, Genesis chapter 26, verses 30 and 31. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they left him in peace. 
Exodus chapter 34, verse 15. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for when they, promise, when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. So this is a negative one. The Lord is telling the Israelites, don't, don't eat the meals that are sacrificed to these idols in the promised land. So with their bellies full and, and their hearts united, it was time for sleep. Gangle and Bramer say, with the treaty established and the witness he built, the combatants become relatives once more. So they ate and slept in the same campground. Peace had been established between Laban and Jacob. They were relying on God to be their witness and judge so that peace would be maintained. And see, God is our witness to living at peace with others. And our final point this morning, and this one took a little bit of a stretch to get the A, but it's adieu, farewell. There you go. Thank you, Mark. (laughs) Verse 55. (laughs) Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them, and he left and returned home. The time's come for Laban and his relatives to return home. The evidence that peace had been established is how Laban treated his grandchildren and daughters. He kissed them, he blessed them, and then he returned home. Since God is all-seeing and all-knowing and therefore judges perfectly, are there any thoughts, words, or actions that you need to confess to him today? Since God is our witness, is there any, anything you need to change in order to live at peace with others? As a body of believers, we need to make sure that our thoughts, words, and actions are pleasing to the Lord. We also need to acknowledge that God sees and knows whether or not we're living at peace with other churches, with other church members, with our neighbors. As 2020 draws to a close, this is just an illustration, much of humanity appears to agree that the ongoing coronavirus pandemic has turned the year into chaos. One company was selling in 2020, uh, and they did in 2021 as well, ornaments which embody the feeling. Manufacturer Rex Roy specializes in 3D printing, and one of their original pieces is proving to be quite special in the way it captures the mood of the moment. The popular ornament is a literal dumpster fire complete with battery-operated flames lighting up one side. There it is. That's what what they look like. You can buy them still if you'd like on Etsy. The description sums up many feelings on the matter. What a year 2020 has been, the perfect way to commemorate 2020. You can do it with 2021 as well. So Rex Roy CEO, Amir uh, Fakarian, says that his wife gave him the inspiration for the holiday ornaments. My wife suggested we start making ornaments for Christmas, so we decided to start a line of ornaments representing the year we all had. (laughs) So I guess they didn't like 2021 either. It was another dumpster fire. I can't wait to see what they're going to do for 2022. But, um, (laughs) right? It's a monument, isn't it? (laughs) To the tough two years that we had with the pandemic. But, um, you know, I trust that... uh, Whatever you're going through, whatever um, turmoil you're experiencing, whether it's at home, whether it's with your spouse or your children, whether it's with extended family, um, whether it's with someone at work or in your neighborhood, I trust that you can find that pathway to peace so that you can set up a monument to peace and not a sign that says to your neighbor, don't cross this line, right? (laughs) I hope that we can come to that point where we can love one another, right? That's what God calls us to. And so that you are encouraged and strengthened today 
in this monument to peace as we see in this passage of scripture. As the worship team comes to close us uh, in a song, would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, we just come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the principles that we learned through it uh, as a result of what you did in the lives of Laban and Jacob and their families. Lord, we thank you that they were able to find this pathway to peace because they were transparent and honest with each other. That they were able to set up this monument to peace so that in the future as people came to this pillar that was up and standing up on end and this pile of stones that they could say, what is this? And those relatives could say, we're at peace with our neighbors. Lord, I pray that you would do that and you would accomplish that in the lives of your people even today. That you would give us your grace and your mercy and your love so that we can extend those to others. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.